spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans for the fans. Cajun Nation. Happy Wet Tuesday. Welcome to Region Review, Matt Miguez. Jerry Abair, Man About Town, Josh Jagno will join me. We are 72 hours removed from the Cajuns' first victory over the season over the Nichols Colonels, 27-24. to We'll talk about that a little bit more. We'll wrap it up completely. As well as bring you a preview of our game this Thursday, as of now, against the Ohio Bobcats on national television, ESPN, Thursday night, 7 o'clock kickoff. Uh, Plenty to talk about that tonight. Ohio play-by-play man, Mr. Russ Eisenstein, will join us, take us behind enemy lines to give you the inside scoop on the Bobcats program. Jerry, Josh, what's going on, boys? Good evening, good evening. Staying dry. How about you? Um, well, as you can see, I know the viewers can't see, but we're on Zoom, so you guys can see. I have wet hair. So <laughs> Didn't you just take a shower, though, Matt? I mean, come on. Josh, let me under the bus. Anyways. <laughs> let, 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 let's jump. Let's go right from the jump. Um, you know, let, let's put this Nichols game behind us. Um, Please. Question question number one, what's the most concerning takeaway for you guys? Go ahead, Jerry. Okay. Uh, most concerning takeaway for me the other night, uh, lack of offensive production. I thought the offensive line, with all the hype, uh, and I said it the other night on the post-game uh, podcast that we did, um, the reaction pod, I, I was very displeased with um, the run game, very displeased with the, the pass protection, very displeased just with the short yardage. Um, I thought that our rushing attack should have been, this should have been the game where the run game really got going. I think Matt, you said before the game, run the ball, just run the ball and, and, and get yardage, get momentum. This was the perfect game to do it. And we let the nickel state front seven dominate our offensive line uh, to the point where we could barely get short yardage. And that's a big concern. Um, I thought that that was something that I think this, this team's going to have to work on this week. I'm sure they've, definitely gotten back to the drawing board on that um, because you don't want to make, I mean, if you can't run the ball, especially with the offense that the Cajuns have always had, even before uh, Billy Napier got here, we've always been a running team. And if you can't get the, that, that going, um, you know, you don't want to be one dimensional going into uh, games that you you know, you're going to have good front sevens to play against because it's only going to get harder. So uh, hopefully the offensive line got a good swift kick in the rear end. Uh, they got a good wake up call this week and, all the hype, all the preseason um, uh, noise about how great they are. Hopefully, that's that's behind them, and they can get back to where they're uh, get back to the grind and, and do what they're known to do, and that's dominate the uh, line of scrimmage. I have a two part answer uh, on the field. I'll say that the most concerning takeaway is for two weeks in a row, and you know this past week against an FCS school, both offense and defensive line did not play well. You know, we had moments, so I'm not going to act like they went out there and sleptwalked through the game, but they, they did not play to the standard that we know they're capable of. 
Um, that's on the field for me. And, and, and actually the defensive, you know, we talked about it in the preview. I wanted to see, I, I wanted to see guys in position and I want to see guys be uh, disciplined on defense. They were not. Lindsey Scott Jr. basically did and got what he wanted. I mean, if you look at his stats, they're gaudy. 300 plus, I don't know how many touchdowns he accounted for. Um, he hurt him with the arm, hurt him with the legs. Uh, but that's that's a conversation for later. But yes, the, the offense and defensive line is the most concerning for me on the field, off the field. The most concerning is obviously the concessions is something we'll get into here in a minute. But what I was worried about the most is that such a great pregame atmosphere, tailgating atmosphere, all of those things that got a, a gigantic A plus in my book were overshadowed by concession problems and long lines and irate customers that had their game in game and, you know, whatever you want, refreshment um, situations ruined and overshadowed. I mean, it, just because of those few problems and it, it, you can see it on the boards, you can see it on social media. Uh, it overshadowed an otherwise excellent performance by our game day management and staff. So those two things were the most concerning for me this weekend. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but um, definitely I agree with you, Josh, the concessions were abysmal. Um, you know, they set up the, the RCAF fast pass thing, which I thought is a great thing to do, but even the RCAF line wasn't very fast. Uh, so definitely something that that they need to work on, but you know, back to the to the on field performance. How about the the big games from both John Stevens Jr. and Michael Jefferson? That was very impressive. Um, both guys, there were a lot of hype and expectations for both of them. Uh, first of all, they're very they're tall, lengthy receivers, very long wingspans, very good with their speed. Um, I mean, when you, I think they're both of them are transfers, correct? I think both of them are, if I'm not mistaken. Um, um, is Jefferson a transfer? I think I know Stevens is. Don't Stevens. remember the school, but Jefferson Jefferson is a transfer. Yeah, they, they're both transfers, um, and and they both they both come from good schools. So, um, you know, we knew going in that they would be they would they would play a huge role. Uh, but what concerns me is not necessarily their coming out party, but the lack thereof for the other receivers that have made names for themselves over the past few seasons. Uh, didn't really see much from outside of the one catch. Didn't see much from Pete LeBlanc the other night. Kyron Lacey caught a few passes. Dante Fleming, I think, caught two passes. Um, but with all the expectations we have uh, with our receiving core, you know, I don't even know. Did, did Aaron Rodgers Jr. catch a ball the he other night? Aaron Rodgers Jr. did not play. He, didn't, he got it. Okay, he didn't play. He didn't play. Okay, so, but even then, in spite of that, um, you know, it was nice to see those two guys come out and, and really shine. But, uh, you know, this is one of those games I would have liked to see everybody kind of get an equal amount of touches, but very impressed with their gameplay though. I thought on the, uh, both on the edge, on the outside, they were great with the deep ball, great with the jump ball. Uh, they got a lot of good jumps to their skills, but, uh, want to see a little more. want to see a little more from the other receiving core, uh, other parts of the receiving core as well. And to answer the question, Michael Jefferson is a transfer from Alabama state. Ah, okay. Okay. Good enough. Well, you can see that John Stevens Jr., you can see why we were so excited about him. I mean, he's a he's a mismatch nightmare. I mean, he's he's rangy, he's tall, he's got hops, he can run. And you saw it on full display. Uh, the touchdown to Jefferson uh, down the north end zone sideline. 
uh, home sideline was just an absolute dime by Levi, but Jefferson showed that he can run. He's got size. We all know that, but he can run. I mean, he absolutely smoked the secondary um, and good on Levi for finding him, but that, you know, credit to Mike Jefferson. That was uh, he's got skills. So you see why he's so high on the, on the depth chart. I know we kind of talked about that was a little bit of a surprise, but the wide receiver core in general, it's, it's like an enigma. You know, Dante Fleming was a key piece. You know, he was one of the, the guys that helped beat Iowa State. The guy's basically a ghost this year. It's unreal. Kyron Lacey is getting, I mean, Levi doesn't even look at him when he's on the field. It's, it's bizarre. You know, if, <laughs> if, if Kyron Lacey is one of my number one options, I'm looking at him, I don't know, 20 times a game, targeting him maybe 12. Hope, hopefully mm-hmm. he catches seven or eight. It's, it's, a, it's really bizarre, but... No, you know, to highlight those guys, those transfers that, you know, we we think have a lot of potential and obviously have a lot of, of talent. They showed that on Saturday. Uh, they had a nice they had nice games and good for John Stevens because he had two big drops against Texas. One was crucial on that two point play uh, late in the second half. So good on him. Hopefully he can continue and continue to improve. Look, at the end of the day, Mike Jefferson's playing D1 football for the first time in his career and I think Stevens hasn't played in two years so these, these are meaningful reps for guys that don't have a ton of experience yeah you know no question about it you brought up the the Kyron Lacey thing and you know six catches for 67 yards is, is his stat so far through two games which mind-blowing right you know leading receiver for through the first two games is Michael Jefferson Three catches for 84 yards and a touchdown. Um, obviously, all of that coming this past week against Nichols. Um, you know, one thing I want to talk about while I'm looking at these stats is looking at our rushing numbers. Between four rushers, Chris Smith, Imani Bailey, Montreal Johnson, and Levi Lewis, we have ran the ball 60 times for 166 yards. Yeah, the game the other night, you take away Levi's rushes, just the three running backs, 83 yards for tw- off 26 carries, one of which was a 20-something yard run by Monty Bailey. So that's 25 carries for like 62, 63 yards. That's yeah, abysmal. 2.8 yards a carry. That's abysmal. I'm sorry. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. That's terrible. Um, and, and, you know, look, I understand you're replacing two, you know, NFL running backs. I get it. And look, but, we can't we can't we can't gloss over the fact that the offensive line has some moving pieces to it. We're, we're starting a redshirt uh, guard, I think, uh, on the left side for in AJ Gilly, or is he playing tackle? Um, well, Not one hundred percent on that, but he's on the he's on the left side. Now, look, I looked at the depth chart that came out today. Rubio's back, so hopefully that'll help. That's going to be huge. That's big. Yeah, That's so two big, people are yeah. out of position, and we're playing a freshman. So you got to you got to keep in mind the offensive line is not at one hundred percent, and certainly not what they had they had you know expected going into the season. So yes, we're replacing those backs, but we're also kind of limping on the offensive line. Not an excuse because everybody should be able to step up and contribute against the FCS school. Um, and again, no shade to to Nichols, but the fact of the matter is we're bigger, stronger, faster. Yeah. Um... You brought up the depth chart. I'm glad you did. While we're while we're on that topic, we'll, we'll talk about some things that that I've noticed at least. Um, you mentioned Carlos Rubio being back at left tackle. AJ Gilly now lined up as the backup left guard. So yeah, he was a guard. Um, your usuals just about everywhere else. Neil Johnson line and Johnny Lumpkin at tight end. Kyron Lacey, Michael Jefferson, John Stevens Jr. 
Peter LeBlanc, Dante Fleming, Caleb Carter, Jalen Williams, Jacob Bernard, Devin Pauley listed as your three deeps at receiver. Uh, Levi Lewis starting quarterback. Chris Smith starting running back. Injury report, Logan Newell is out with a lower body injury. And then Farad Gardner and Errol Rodgers Jr. have both been upgraded to questionable. Yeah, I don't, I don't expect Farad to play this week. I don't expect I either one to play. I wouldn't personally play him. Um, you, you know, you mentioned the tight ends. You mentioned Lumpkin and Neal. How many catches do those guys have? Uh, let's see. I'll tell you. Um, it's it's got to be it's got to be less than five, five or six in two games. Johnson has four. Okay. And Lumpkin has one. Okay, so if I, we we you know I don't know if they keep targets on that stat sheet, but I thought that these guys were going to be an integral part this year. I mean, that's what we heard. I've read two or three different pieces between foot and the other guys that right around here tied in Neil ready to break out Lumpkin ready to bust loose. Pierce Meagle. Pierce Meagle also has two catches. Yeah. So, well, he's kind of like an X back. He plays the H back. He plays the tight end. They use him in different ways. But the point of the matter is we're not, we're not using the tight end. We're not. We never, we, but but that, that's again, also again this year. We we never have under Billy Napier. <laughs> that's mind blowing. You know, it's like Zan Beckett said. We Neil Johnson is the mismatch in the middle of the field, and he's almost always open. Always. We don't look always. for him. Always. We don't look for him. It's Jerry. You know, have an well, to that? I mean, you know, I was watching. We? I was watching the Monday night game last night, and <laughs> there was a play where. Derek Carr, if I remember correctly, he got sacked or he threw the ball away or something. And then they show the replay and, uh, God, with Lewis Riddick absolutely losing his mind in the commentary booth. Because when they, <laughs> when they show the replay, you see Darren Waller, who, by the way, is an absolute freak of nature. Oh, man. Just streaking down the scene. Nobody within 10 yards of him. And Carr just never hit him. And and, and, and it's it, it's so it, – it, it's true for UL, too, because like you said, Neil Johnson, dude, he's open all the time in the middle of the field. All the time. Yeah, but you know what? He's it's not – but it's not just Neil Johnson. I don't think we go down the middle enough, period, in the passing game. Um, and, you know, what happens is usually and, – and we've seen this before with, you know, quarterbacks that have played pre-Levi before Levi. And when you have a quarterback that can't throw down the seam, the only time you're going to throw to a tight end is on the bootlegs. You're going to throw them on the, the five yard out route. And so because of that, because we don't throw down the middle, you just don't, you just don't see it. And that's why, uh, I mean, look, Levi's throwing a lot of passes um, on the outside. Um, and I think that has a big part in the fact that the tight end's not getting targeted because when you do have a guy like Neil Johnson going down the seam and he did it against Texas, that big third down play, it was like, what a 20 yard, pass right down the middle mm-hmm. perfect the one time he did it and it worked but yet we we haven't done it since and it is concerning it well, is concerning i don't know if we're gonna start seeing it because every the, the book is out on levi they're gonna stack the box and make him beat him with his arm and you know what i was told by a former football player the same thing the other day he listened to our reaction pod got to give a shout out and he said it you know and he, he played he played on the he played on the ul offense years ago he said you know we are not going down the middle levi doesn't look down the middle he said, you know, there's no seam throws and they're open, but he just doesn't look down the middle. He said, 
he said Neil Johnson could be a huge asset, a huge weapon, but we never look his way. Every tight um, end we have, Johnson, Lincoln, <laughs> Hunter Bergeron, they could all be these guys. Yeah. Jacob Bernard. I mean, these are all guys that could contribute in huge ways for this offense, and they're just not getting hit. That's just film. That's all film, if you ask me. Um, that's something you have to look at when you're in your film study, because I guarantee you, when they review the film and they look at, they look at the film and review what they what they saw on Saturday. I mean, I don't know whether it's uh, Billy or whoever in that in that film room with with Levi or or the receiving core or, or the tight end. I'm sure they've caught it numerous times. Like, hey, there's somebody all by himself and down the down the seam, and nobody's going his way. Right. But, I but, hope they at least address but have that. they but have they caught it? Because it happens game I in. I, I don't because I don't it happens know. game in. Saying. It I mean, happens game in and game out. And yet the opportunity is there to see doesn't it. get it doesn't change. Well, we've recently found out that you know the coaching staff said they coach the quarterbacks to hold the ball if they're not one hundred percent sure. So look, I'm not a coach, I don't get paid to coach, but I'm just telling you, there is some inherent risk with trying to make plays. Brett Favre is not a Hall of Fame quarterback if he doesn't throw all the interceptions that he threw. You know, people if you're going to take risks, you're going to get rewarded. Yes, sometimes they're going to have, you know, you're going to turn the football over. It's part of the game. But I don't know if I agree with the strategy of just hold the ball because man, look, I'd be willing to eat a few interceptions if we can make some dynamic plays happen happen over the middle, especially if we're utilizing the tight end. When you're use, utilizing the tight end, you're making the defense defend the entire field. Right now, yeah. they're defending the flat and they're just stacking the box. Right. And it's and it's working. That's the most concerning part. It's working against us. Right. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, I, I, I completely agree. Our, our offense definitely needs to become more dynamic if we're going to see the success that we know that this program is, has the potential to reach. Uh, you know, one, one thing I want to talk about that, that got brought up and I find it very interesting attendance for soccer and football. Um, you know, attendance at soccer was record breaking in the 500th percentile, uh, <laughs> nearly, nearly the stratosphere, man, nearly 3000 people. We're at the soccer game last week with the Cajuns and LSU. And then, you know, football. I mean, 25,000. When, when was the last time we had 25,000 at a game? It, it's been um, two years, was, hadn't it? It's a rec- uh, Well, it's been since Billy Napier's first game against uh, um, Grambling in 2018. Yeah. They had right, right around 29. But, yeah. of course, look, a big part in that was the Grambling crowd that, that yeah. showed up. Exactly. That was 25,000 Cajun fans, 25 and change. And it's the kind of person that showed up to the game. It wasn't just the family looking to spend 20 bucks and have a four hour event. That crowd was raucous. That crowd was lively. The crowd was into the game. The the people stayed and cheered. And even though they they didn't really get treated to a great product, I mean, let's be honest, uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, the atmosphere was outstanding. I thought the student turnout was probably the best since I was a student there. No doubt. Um, I thought they did a fantastic job. I mean, not just um, between the the red zone, but even to the right of the band, a lot of the Greeks, you know, now that, you know, the Greeks used to sit in the end zone before they added those seats, but now the Greeks have their own, like kind of like their own section to the right of the band. 
but it makes the student section even look more intimidating. It looks more filled. It looks good. It looks fantastic. And I just want to give a shout out to the UL student body. Awesome job, guys. Keep it up. Keep this up every game. Look, Thursday night, we're on national TV. We need that type of energy from the student body like we had um, uh, the other day on Saturday. So uh, great turnout by the students. But no, Cajun Nation, again, like we said the other night, they get the game ball from for the for turning out and the atmosphere like you said josh around the stadium for the pregame for for the tailgate cajun walk everything was fantastic um and and look i we even found out through friends who tried to park but between the cajun dome and the parking lot across the street for the free journal admission parking i believe that that area sold out um it sold out because everybody went that way and so that when I heard about that, even though there wasn't there weren't as many people in the actual Cajun for a parking lot at the time, I knew I'm like, OK, unless they don't none of them go in the stadium, we should have a good crowd tonight. And, and they did. And Cajun yeah, they, Nation, they filled, fantastic job. They filled Cajun Field. They filled the light center across the street. And they filled the Cajun Dome. <laughs> uh, amazing. There was no parking to be found. And they also filled the concession stand lines once they got into the stadium, but that's for another conversation. Oh, no. no, this is for this conversation. Yeah, I'm going to do. A, <laughs> we're about to have that conversation. Walk right, right into. Right yeah. I'm, I'm going to do. I'm going to do a compliment sandwich. You know, I, I applaud how everybody showed up, but I'm going to say what I said last week for soccer. You can't beg the city to come to your event, and then not be ready for them to come to your event. That is. That is the antithesis of building a program where people want to come and spend their dollars and their time. Now, look, the previous record at the soccer field, I think was 663. We got 2373. Uh, you know, when you triple your record, I'm not going to hold it against somebody. You know what I mean? That That's just like crazy numbers. So should we have had two more than two guys working the concession? Yeah, I think so. Especially when you made a conscious effort to try to break the record for attendance. Should we have been ready with 10 people? Probably not because it was unrealistic. Now, people showed up and good for them. But when it came to Saturday, look, you think, you know, you can get 24, 26,000 people, you know, and for those who said that it didn't look like 25,000 people on TV, you're dead wrong. Because I was in that stadium and it was totally packed on the home side. Upper deck was full, more full than I've seen it in a very long time. The students had piled on top of each other on the rail, along the railing, almost the entire length of, you know, from the 20s to 25 to the 25. Uh, moving the band was also another move that I liked. Uh, the south end zone was more full than it's been in a very long time. How about the hill, man? And you're not accounting for, the, I was going to say, the, the hill and everybody that was in line. Everybody that was in the damn concession line. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I said. I was thinking, okay, everybody's like, well, the stadium didn't look full. I'm like, yeah, because half the people were in the concession lines trying it's to get a, a bottle of water waiting an hour to get a beer, you know? Yeah, and, and, and it's not hyperbole. <laughs> it literally was that. It was a madhouse under, you know, on the home side, especially on those concession areas. But, you know, what felt good about that is, and I know we had a huge problem with this for years, people tailgating and not leaving their tailgates to go to the games. And a little bit, a little bit of that happened on Saturday, but I'm telling you, dude, probably three to four o'clock in the afternoon before the game, there was 35 to 40,000 people on the property. And that may not, you know, somebody made a comment about, well, you know, that's not how they count attendance. Well, yeah, you're right. That's not how they count attendance when you walk in the gate. But I remember the glory days of attendance at UL during the Hudspeth peak years there was 50 and 60,000 people on the complex grounds. 
And that's where we got to get oh, yeah. again. You couldn't, you couldn't when, walk. When, that's right. When you get back to that and you have a good product on the field like Billy has, look, that's when magic happens. So I'll say the fans showed up, the fans did their job, the Greeks, the students, everybody did their job. I think the administration let us down a little bit, but I'll, I will butt in it with this. We have all, I believe all of us have been in touch with some people in the administration from game day experience to, you know, Nico to few other John, you know, I spoke to John Duga. Um, we know for a fact there were meetings and phone conferences. We know that there, there will be a total change in the way things are done on Thursday. Um, there's a survey that's going to go out to the fans. Um, there's going to be a map when you walk in to tell you exactly where everything is. They're considering bringing in more third-party vendors. Uh, you know, I know that they're contractually obligated to Sodexo for X number of years. I'm not 100% on how much longer that contract goes, but, you know, I don't know how you fire somebody for cause when it comes to that kind of thing. Like, concession management you know i don't know how i don't know how their unions work maybe they're locked tight i don't know but i know that remedies are coming and they're going to be here thursday for the ohio game yeah uh, yeah good job well done for the administration for at least addressing it you know i know dr maggard sent out basically an apology letter to all of the season ticket holders for the concessions and you know what look as bad as it was, I, I will give credit where credit's due. Like you said, Josh, the fact that they took responsibility. They didn't make excuses. They said, look, we're sorry. We messed up. And, and I can, I can, I, I, I can't, you know, I can tip my hat off to the administration for at least addressing the problem, seeing, seeing it for what it is and going, look, we, Hey, we, we screwed up um, and, and doing what they can to remedy it. And um, you know, just, and, and, and look, if you're a fan, if you're a fan and you stood in that line and if you saw, have you, if you have observations, if there's things you saw that you were like, Hey, you can do this, 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 give the administration a fee, some feedback, tell them, send them an email, say, Hey, look, here's what we think from our perspective, what you can do. And, shit, and they listen. Shit, if you're not comfortable doing that, send it to us, we'll send it to them. We'll send it to them. Heck, I mean, we're not afraid to speak our minds as you know, and, and we do it out of, out of love, really, you know, we, we do it for the, what's best for the program. But, you know, I'll give you an example the other day, uh, you know, we're trying to get some water and, uh, one of the things that I noticed that they didn't have before and may, I thought it was COVID protocol. I don't know, but, uh, water was only sold at the actual concession stand. Used they used to have water at the lemonade stand. They would sell water with the cotton candy stand. They would sell water. I don't, I don't know if it was with the beer line or whatnot, but because so many things were consolidated, it caused the lines to grow even more. Then on top of that, like Dr. Maggard said on the great Scott show, the bandwidth was the bandwidth was so slow that it caused the credit card machines to malfunction. And, you know, it, it, there were so many things that just happened. And look, like I said, you got to prepare for those kind of things. We've been through this before. This isn't the first time this has happened. But hopefully now that the administration has noticed it, they're trying to remedy it. Let's hope that that contingency plan that they come up with starting on Thursday can actually be something that could be consistent permanently. So next year for the home opener, we're not dealing with the same thing or for any game where we're expecting a big crowd where we can have some consistency there. And by the way, l let me just say, I'm not being an apologist for the university. You know, <laughs> that is the first, you guys know me better than that. If you've been listening <laughs> to the things that I say or- What? Right, come on, Josh. No. You, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that there's no excuse for that. And, and right. I think the guys in charge have said that themselves. But I am telling you that there's a difference between an excuse and a reason. There were some reasons that things were backed up and they got out in front of it and they told you guys that they were sorry. OK, you got to respect that on some level. So recognize the effort. 
Okay. And give him a chance. Don't look, if you're a boomer out there looking to bitch about something, okay. The, the music is bad. The PA is loud. Okay. All right. I get it, dude. The PA is loud. So what? So what? Sh- just, just get over it. Suck it up. Come back. All right. Give him a chance to make it right. The team is too good. The program's come too far. We, the last thing we need you to stop coming to the games for is because speakers are not in the right place. It's a 60 year old stadium. That's about to get renovated. I mean, we can sit through another, another couple of shitty game day experiences to support this team. I think the only time the PA system was loud was when they played those McDonald's messages from home and people, (laughs) people were cheering for Nate Snyder, which by the way, love Nate, not, not dissing that at all. But I mean, when you got 15 cheerleaders on a, PA system for a 50,000 seat stadium. <laughs> I mean, it's not bad. Yeah, yeah, it's a, uh, it was, it was pretty loud, but no. And also what the, the thing about the sound system is, uh, you know, yeah, hey, look, I, I even complained. I even covered one ear one time. Cause it was like a blast of sound, but you know, it's, it's an old scoreboard. I know there's things that need to be repaired. And like you said, look, we're playing in a stadium that opened 50 something years ago. So um, unfortunately, look, there's things in the stadium that they can't even repair right now because the, the plugs were from 1970, right? So, you know, look, just bear with us here. We got maybe one or two more seasons of like this kind of stuff every once in a while. It's not like every single thing on the PA was off, right? And another thing is too, and I, and I don't mean to be, like you said, Josh, an apologist here, but the reality is you go to any college football game today and look, I don't like it. I'm a traditionalist. I wish they wouldn't play as much music on the PA. I like the marching band playing music, but the reality is you can go to the best of the, okay, you're, you're one of the young ones. So of course you're going to like, right, Matt, you're going to like that. But the reality is, is most atmospheres now play music on the PA, just about every one. It's not like in the 1990s where it was nothing but college music from the band. So if you don't like it here, you're not going to like any college football game because now most stadiums play that type of music along you, with the you band. Got to. It's just the reality. Because you have it's to. The, it's a generation. It's a generation. I mean, it is what it is. You know. You got to get hyped. Yes, and and I'm with it. I'm with it. Look, millennials and Gen Y, Z, X's. I don't even know where we're at anymore. But W's right here. No. Listen, <laughs> let's 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 have this conversation, okay? The the, I guess the elephant in the room is that. Our university has never targeted the proper demographic. Our demographic has always been, you know, the, the target demographic has always been. No. You, you, you got to go. This university has always targeted the people with the money because we had to keep the doors open. And the people with the money has always been the 70s, 80s, 90s oilmen that had all the damn money. And they also happen to be boomers and 60, 70, 80 year olds. I mean, that's the truth. We have finally started to make a concerted effort to court students, younger people, you know, in that graphic, you know, that demographic from 26 to 39, you know, the people that have growth potential money that'll stay in the program for 20, 30, 40 years. That is important. So, if you know, I'm sorry, Boomer, if you don't want to hear grunge rock from the 90s, that's what's going to get played. I'm sorry if you don't want to hear EDM or hippity hop. You got to listen to it <laughs> because that's that is what those people want to hear. And it's just something we have to get over. I don't like it. I don't like that shit either. I would much rather listen to the band play. I'm a traditionalist. I like the pageantry of college football. But yeah. if you're going to attract the people that are going to bring energy into your stadium and bring dollars into your private donations, you have to target the right demographic. And right now, that's what they're doing. Yeah, and, and and that's the thing. I mean, it's like it's kind of like the conversation we've had before about um, 
you know, some people, not everybody can give ten, twenty thousand dollars to RCAF, right? As much as we would all love it. I say, but I wish I could. I wish I wish I could. And it's like the Saints Damn. games, you know. Some of your biggest diehard fans uh, all sit at the top. Well, you in order much, for uh, to I'm attract so, those people, no, go ahead, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm just I'm just thinking about the the comment you made, the ten to twenty thousand dollars. Do you know how much money you would have to make to have ten to twenty thousand dollars as disposable income? Oh my gosh, yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. Oh my god. Anyways, but, but the reality is, no, the reality is, is now. I mean, it's it's almost like. Yes, you definitely want to entertain. You, you, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. That's obvious. But at the same time, you also want to put butts in the seats. And in order to put butts in the seats, not everybody who's in the seat can give that kind of money to where sometimes you're going to have to entertain these people. You're going to have to be able to cater to a certain demographic, like you said, because guess what? Those, those casual fans that you know want to go to the UL game on a Saturday with their kids – they're 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 buying tickets. They're buying concessions. They the younger they might be a younger generation with their kids who like that music. But you know what they're doing? They're filling up the stadium too. You know they're filling up the stadium. I mean it looks more full on TV, right? You can if you want to ostracize them and not let them come to the games, that's fine. But you're going to be watching the game on TV in an empty stadium. So it's kind of a catch 22 50 50 can't have it both ways kind of thing, right? You got to make some sacrifices to grow the program. I don't. I don't think it's all that difficult. I think that you know this this community is freaking hard headed, and they want what they want. They want to pull up to the stadium ten minutes early. They want to walk to their seats for five bucks. You know that it's that that shit is over. Those days are gone. People need to understand. We need money to be to be viable. And in order to do that, we need to target the right people. In order to do that, we have to do the things that will get their attention and keep their attention. I don't like EDM and rave music, but I'll sit there and listen to it if it helps the program grow. It's not about you or me. It's not about us. Jerry, would you, or I'll say Matt, Matt, would you go to a movie theater that's showing Gone with the Wind? I mean, if it helped the program, sure. No, well, my point is, is that you just don't want to watch something. Oh, yeah. A, a, you're not going to watch a 70-year-old product that you don't care about or don't relate to, okay? And, and maybe that is, you know, Tom, Dick, Sing and Harry from the from the forties. The yeah, they don't want to do. They don't maybe want to listen to the hippity hop and everything, but they just have to. It's just part of the deal. Yeah, and and again, that's all around the country too. That's not just Cajun Field. I mean, you go to Alabama games, you go to the Texas game, you go to the LSU game, you go to the Michigan game. They all play it, and then, but yet they still they still bring in their traditional band music, right? They still do their stuff, but guess what? In between that, they're playing rap on the PA. I mean, that's well, just, again, it, because it is what you, it is. You have to hit your target demographic, whether you care to admit it or not. Your target demographic as a college football program is college students, college students and recent graduates. That's and what, your demographic. And what has been the biggest problem? I mean, in my lifetime, the biggest problem of getting the atmosphere the way we wanted it was because lack of student participation lack of Greek participation, and just overall lack of young people participation. It's a damn Morgan there. You got to change that. And the way you change that is you entertain people the way they want to be entertained at, you know, in that target demo. You bring the energy. All right. What you do. Let's you bring the energy. Let's, let's move on to the fun conversation. The conversation that we have been previewing for weeks. And by the way, we were talking about gone with the wind a second ago. Listeners of Rage Interview, I'm, I hope you enjoyed your free performance of me singing, singing in the rain. 
because you'll have to pay for it next time. Anyways, realignment. This has obviously been been a big conversation lately with Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC and now Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, and Central Florida almost all but certain going to the Big 12. Um you, you know that that leaves a lot of things that leaves a lot of questions unanswered. You know what happens to the American? Do the Big 12 does the Big 12 try to grow into the Big 14? You know, does does the Sun Belt pull teams in to grow the Sun Belt? Does CUSA try and grow? You know, do do super conferences form now? You know, def- definitely a lot of questions left unanswered. Um, but obviously, the big thing that we're going to talk about is where this leaves our football program. Where's where this leaves our university, University of Louisiana. Um. Jerry, I'll start with you. If you had to answer the question right now, where are the Cajuns in three years? What's your answer? Can't answer that. Can't answer it. I think there's too much going on right now. I think where we are, um, there's Boo. so many. Now, now, the, now, if I were to answer where do I want to go, it really, I can't even answer that because we don't really, here's the thing about commentary alignment right now at this moment. We've already saw what the SEC has done by adding Texas and Oklahoma. We saw that the Big 12 has poached three American schools, including BYU, who of course was an independent. But yet after the Big 12 officially invited those four schools, there's rumors and speculations that they want to expand even more and take another American school in Memphis and maybe go somewhere like Boise or go somewhere else. And, and there's just so that the best way I can describe it right now, it's conference musical chairs. Every single school is just flying off the, all, all over the radar, wondering who's going to go where, who's going to do what. Um, my opinion of this uh, with UL is simple. Right now, we saw that there's speculation that the Sun Belt is looking to add schools. Um, I know a fan board and James Madison says they have sources and you know where I'm going with this, but the four schools that came up included uh, Marshall, uh, James Madison, um, Southern Miss, and I believe the fourth one was who? Uh, we just, we, I'm having a, drawing a brain fart right now. It was uh, Southern Miss, James Madison. Um, Old Dominion and Marshall. Marshall. Old, yeah, Old Dominion, Old Dominion. So that's three Conference USA schools right there that there's rumors of the Sunbelt poaching. Um, so if they add those schools, the next question is, okay, how many more schools leave the American to go elsewhere? Is Memphis going to end up going as an additional Big 12 school? We don't know. So then the next question comes in, okay, everybody wants to go to the American, right? Conference USA schools want to go to the American. Sunbelt schools want to go to the American. But then the next question is the commissioner, Mike Oresco of the American Conference, does he go after the TV markets or does he go after winning programs? Right. If you go after the TV markets, you're, you know, you're going to go after Charlotte. You're going to go after Georgia state. You're going to go after North Texas. But what do those schools really bring to the conference? You know, they really don't win that much. They really don't have much fan support. You know, they're mostly commuter schools. So really depending on what the American wants to do, will determine whether or not I think the Cajuns would want to go. I mean, and look, American Conference, ideally, that's where I would like to go. But if they end up taking a bunch of 
schools that are all about markets like an FAU or Western Kentucky, right? Western Kentucky and middle got taken because of the Nashville market. But what have they really brought to the conference in Conference USA? You know, so it's very, it's very a complex question. Um, I, like I said, I'd like to go to the American, but if they're going to take a bunch of market schools that don't really bring much and the Sunbelt still has app, the Sunbelt still has coast, Sunbelt still has coastal, they add Marshall and they add all these teams that are become nationally ranked and have brand names. It becomes, it becomes a very complicated situation there. I have so much to say, so I'm going to try my best to slow down and speak in boxes. I think the big story that nobody's talking about is the Big 12. I know that UCF, Cincinnati, who was it? UCF, Cincinnati, um, BYU and Houston. Houston and BYU. I know that they went to the Big 12. I know that. But the Big 12 is not solid, in my opinion. I don't think that that conference is staying where they are. If you, I mean, if you got, and I know Jerry has a couple of guys that he talks to that I speak to as well. Texas Tech is trying to go to the Pac-12, have been for a couple of years. Navy, uh, I'm sorry, not Navy. Um, Kansas is trying to get out of the Big 12, has been for years. They want to go back to a basketball conference. Nebraska, I know that I know Nebraska's, I'm just trying to tie this all to the Pac-12. Nebraska's trying to get out of the Big Ten because they are not viable whatsoever and, and dying on the vine in the Big Ten, and they want to go to the Pac-12. I'm, yeah, so the Pac-12 could grow into a 14-team league, which may even push it over the edge to be a 16-team league, where we, this is where we think everybody's going. If the Pac-12 grows to 14 and they need to add two more, why at that point would Boise State not be a perfect school program especially just for football only if it's if they go that route there's your 15 you can easily go get a fresno state now you're gonna have to find a good institution because they won't do business with a school that doesn't have good academics and by they i mean pac-12 so saying all that it's hard not to talk in in a bunch of different webs here but if the pac-12 ends up being the first mega 16 team conference what does that do for the rest of the quote unquote power five. The big 12 is basically insolvent or the PAC 12, I'm sorry, the big 12 becomes the old AAC because at that point, they're just going to start taking the best G five. You know, it'll literally become the AAC with just very good um, G five schools. That's what it'll become. And I don't think that that nobody's talking about that, but it's happening right under us. You can, if you start scouring the internet, you'll find articles going back two years for some of these things. So the Big 12 is not set in stone, and I think that that's going to cause even more movement in the AAC. And honestly, if there's going to be a G5 Super League, it's going to take the Big 12 basically disbanding, the AAC potentially disbanding, or maybe the AAC says, hey, the 16-team league is the only way we survive. You can see Keith Gill with the, S- the Sunbelt Conference is basically doing that. He's already opened the door to become that first G5 Super League at 16 teams. It's kind of a race to see who's going to become the more dominant league, um, whether they do that geographically, whether they do that from a brand perspective, whether they do it from TV markets. Uh, You know, who does the Big 12 backfill with? I have an interesting thought. Um, I was joking with Lou the other day and I said, 
anytime Tulane is not talking, I'm worried. And Tulane hasn't said a damn thing. So who's to say that Tulane's not talking to the Big 12? I mean, Tulane is an AAU school, one of 76 in the country. They have they can deliver the TV market that the big the Big 12 would want. You keep your Louisiana footprint for recruiting and, and uh, travel partners. And look, they have plenty of potential. They got a brand new stadium. I know it's not glamorous, but, you know, stick 30,000 people in there. It'd be good for regional rivalries. It would look nice on TV. Um, their basketball program is on the up. It's not great. doesn't have a ton of history, but it's on the up with Ron Hunter. And baseball has always been good. Their Title IX sports has been, have been okay. Um, but mostly you deliver the New Orleans market and they have great academics. So, man, there's so many things. Like Jerry said, it's hard to say. The, the most important thing is that the Sunbelt Conference, the conference that we're currently in, has a commissioner, surprisingly, that's making some steps to strengthen the league. You bring Marshall in, even Southern Miss, UTEP, or uh, UTSA, not UTEP, you drop Little Rock and you drop UTA, get rid of some of that dead weight in this conference. I mean, you already have a viable league at 12 teams right there. ULM. You know, ULM is what it is, man. I, I don't think that you can vote them out. They play all the sports. They're a good travel partner for either Texas Tech or Texas State or Louisiana. Um, good regional rivalry, easy travel. Uh, not necessarily a great, a great academic school, but they, you easy know, they win. lease that pharmacy. They have the pharmacy school, so that's important. Market sucks. Easy dub. Easy dub, yeah, for us. Um, you know, dude, I mean, there's just so many ways you can go with it. You know, Jerry, Jerry maybe has some thoughts on a couple of those comments, but I, I still have a thousand things I could say about it. There's well, just think, no end in the possibilities. No, and I think that's the problem. That's why I call it conference musical chairs, because that's what it is. It's conference musical chairs. Everybody's kind of all, you know, fend for yourself right now. And, and the, thing, um, the thing about it that's kind of frustrating is that when you think you have your thumb on it, Things are so in flux and everybody wants answers. But what they don't understand is that things are fluid. So the fact that the Big 12 accepted the applications of those th three schools or four schools changes the position of some other high ranking schools like a UAB, like a Memphis. You know, we don't even, we still don't even know what the military schools are going to do. They might just go independent altogether. You know, right. but, but these things change as these commissioners of these conferences are making decisions and to, to say that we have a definitive answer is just, I mean, it's disingenuous. We have a pretty good idea what we want to happen because we talk to people in the administration. Like, I think I'm pretty confident in saying that our, our AD would, number one, like to be in the AAC as it's currently constructed. Number two, would prefer to go to a bigger super G5 league with the best G5 teams in the country. Or number three, continues to watch Keith Gill and everything he's doing, stay in the Sun Belt if we keep intact what we have and can attract a Marshall, a JMU, maybe a, maybe a Charlotte, uh, who knows? But notice that in none of these circles are we talking about La Tech. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, here's another thing we're not talking about either. And this is, I think, something that a lot of people, I believe, are missing out on because the conversation never comes up. We're doing all of these things in spite of, in spite of a possible talk of a playoff expansion. 12-team playoff expansion, which means that there's more options for G5 schools to get in. Um, it's not like your typical playoff where, oh, the, the one team, that's been the big talk with the 12-team is, is you're going to be guaranteed one spot. Well, now the question is, okay, 
based on conference alignment, in what way can you position yourself as a G5 to get that spot? What can you do to get that spot? So you hope regardless of whether or not you, you, the Sun Belt stays intact, you go to the American, Commerce USA does this or that, the Mountain West combines with this conference and all that. The, the next question is, okay, based on all of this, what can you do as a university and as an athletic program to position yourself so when they expand to those 12 teams, you can have the best position possible to get that playoff spot? No doubt. And you have the conference champion and then the highest ranked G5. It doesn't have to be the same one. You know, you, you essentially, in my view, the way it works out on a regular year, you're going to have two G5s in the playoff. And we don't know what that looks like just yet. But it's possible. Regardless, regardless, you want to have, you want to have, if I'm the G5 leagues and the G5, you know, family, I want my best team to have the best chance to go win a national championship. And the way you do that is to play a hard schedule, a grueling schedule. Now, once the G5 alignment is settled and the dust is settled and everything, the the P5s are going to go league only. I mean, you already see the SEC doing that. They want to play SEC games only, maybe one out of conference. And if those out-of-conference games are going to be, I don't know, probably if, if I'm the SEC and I don't have to go play a out-of-conference or a money game, I'm going to find the best out-of-conference that I can get for, for the TV dollars. I'm yeah, not gonna play, absolutely. I'm not going to play a Memphis or a Houston. I'm going to go play a Clemson. I'm going to go play, right. uh, you know, like Ohio State. So, I also so think- it's going to be important that G5, the G5 um, realignment takes into account that we have to play the best programs year in and year out. And the only way to do that is to be in a league with them. And just to tell everybody right now, we're scr- look, we're going to be talking about this as time goes on. We're scratching the surface here. Like this is just the beginning. Right. And this is why we waited. Happening. This yeah. is why we waited. And as, as there's so much that happens as, as the music hits to go to break, I will prove my, not prove my point, state my point to what both of you said, talking about the expanded playoff. And you guys agreed that there would be two spots for the G5. And I'm telling you right now that you are, the way it's set up right now, the way conferences look right now, obviously it's ever changing. But if it stays where it is now, a 12 team playoff will only have one G5 spot and it will go to the highest ranked conference champion and they will be the 12 seed. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The, the playoff committee is going to do everything in their power to keep the Jimmys and Joes elite. Well, I, I don't necessarily disagree, but what I will no, say I don't is, disagree. Well, what I will say is this. Notice that all this realignment upheaval started right after a 12-team playoff was floated. This has a lot to do with each other, and I think that we won't have an answer on I, and honestly, we may not even go to 12. It might stay at, stop at eight after all the, the conference realignment happens. Yep. <laughs> it might. Plenty, plenty more to talk about on this episode of Agent Review. We'll take a break now. And when we come back, we will be joined by Russ Eisenstein, the voice of the Ohio Bobcats. He will take us behind enemy lines. You know, we've been planning this episode on Agent Review for, for two years now to sit down with Russ, have him in Cajun country. And for the listeners wondering, don't you worry. We're taking good care of Russ tomorrow night while he's in Lafayette. Don't go anywhere. Rage Interview will be right back.
Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Rajan Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. To region review. Matt Miguez, Jerry Abair, man about town. It's time for the weekly behind enemy lines segment. And you know, gentlemen, it's kind of funny. Uh, we, we, we've been talking about this game and this experience and this episode for probably two years now. Um, as you can hear, my dog's going crazy in the background. But, um... And everybody that listens to Rage and Review knows that Matt, Jerry, and Josh, we are three very handsome individuals. However, none more handsome oh. than the voice of the Ohio Bobcats... <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Russ Eisenstein joining us from for the first time when was the last time you were here in Lafayette Russ I, I've never been in Lafayette prior to this day today and it is a pleasure to finally be here and if you could spread around town to all the single Cajuns or whoever else Girls uh, hey. on the trip that that I am yes. one, of, uh, one of the most handsome of this podcast that would really help my cause. Hey, how are we, you guys doing, man? Awesome, man. I'll I'll we're echo. Excited, man. Fired up. I'll, I'll echo the sentiment, man. We're just we're happy to have you in Cajun country. You know what? I, I tell you what. Um, I think the first time I saw the Cajuns in person, uh, I might have told you the story before, but it was a frigid day in DeKalb. Uh, back when Northern Illinois was an independent and, and USL came to town. I think it was 1989. I was nine years old. 
and Northern won on a last-second touchdown. Uh, that was Stacy Robinson against Brian Mitchell, and there were maybe 4,000 people in the stands, and the Cajuns looked like they were absolutely uh, just frozen. Uh, it was one of the coldest days probably in their lives, but it was a heck of a game, um, and there were just a couple of Cajun fans there, but I remember that day and, and following your program and, and being friends from afar with you guys um, through these years now. It, it's just really cool to be down here. And uh, I've, I've been looking forward to this trip. And I drove this trip just to spend a couple extra days in Lafayette. So I'm uh, really, really happy to be here. So I think our listeners can already tell that it's a little bit different. Usually we have all these yahoos from podcasters to bloggers to, you know, message board types. It's fun to have a friend on. And I think you can already tell the difference. We, we enjoy talking to Russ way more than lots of those folks. But I, I understand before we got recording here, uh, Russ was telling us that he was having a bite and maybe a dirty martini with the old dirty bastard. And uh, he was he was also today years old when he had his first boudin ball. So go ahead and tell the people about your first boudin ball experience there, Russ. Yeah, so um, it, it, first off, I, I heard about all these things that are so, and, and I'm not saying different bad, just just different than, than life in the North. Like, I, I would guess that if you were to ask people from Chicago what, what boudin is, unless that they had real ties to, to this region of the country, they, they would have no idea what it is that you were talking about. And I, I, I saw uh, uh, billboards for, for Boudin and, and a whole bunch of other stuff on, on the drive here today. Uh, and so I thought, well, I, I probably should have that. So uh, Jay Walker, the, the, the esteemed, um, highly uh, thought of, legendary voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and I went out to, to dinner tonight and, and I had my first boudin ball and and it was it, 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 it a spicy kind of mushy kind of hush puppy sort of thing it was real good and I tell you what the, the old passion that I had with it made, made it taste even better yeah, the old fashions in at Don's. I'm, I'm assuming it's at Don's Hut. They have one of the best in town, uh, if not the best in town. But we've got to get you over to Billy's, our best stop, before you get out of town for a real boudin ball. That is that has to happen, Jerry. Make sure it happens. Oh yeah, there's no no. You you can't like that's the thing, Russ. You cannot come to Cajun country and not get the best of the best. And so we're gonna try. You know, we're all, you know, we're going to hang out tomorrow night and we're going to try to entertain you with some good, yeah. solid local food. But um, so so let me ask you this, man. How was the drive? Um, it's interesting that, you know, you really get the full taste of the of the South Louisiana culture driving into a tropical storm, of all things. Uh, you know, how, I'm glad. First of all, we're glad that you got here safe and sound. But talk a little bit about the drive down here on the way to Lafayette. Yeah, it, it was. You know, it, I, I could have had a seat on the plane if I wanted it. Um, obviously, I could fly uh, uh, or be with the team and, and, and the staff if, if I wanted to be. And uh, in this case, though, I, I did want to spend a couple extra days down here. And uh, so I got to Memphis, Tennessee on Sunday uh, and then uh, got to Jackson, Mississippi yesterday and then uh, didn't drive the rest of the day today. And, yeah, the, the, the tropical storm. Uh, it's a little bit different driving through that than just through your standard Midwestern thunderstorm. Uh, it was intense, and it was for a, a, a long time. Uh, so I had to pull over uh, between Baton Rouge and, and Lafayette um, uh, to just kind of let one of those vans kind of pass by. But 
I, I wish I could have done it when it was a beautiful day uh, because I, I really just would like to have taken in all that was around me. I mean, it, it's just such a different sort of um, layout, a lay of the land than, than we're used to in the Midwest and, and up in the North. And it's, it's got its own kind of beauty. Uh, and, and I know about the culture uh, uh, and, and, and just great respect for this area um, that everybody has. And, and listening to the radio is a little different. I heard songs on the radio that I've never heard before. I've heard words on the radio that I've never heard before. And, and I got to tell you, that it, it, just, it just makes it even more special to be down here. You know, I, um, uh, all the different parts that make Acadiana so special. It, it's just really cool to be down here and experience it for the first time. K-Ball 101.1, Louisiana Proud. Etude, Mons. Yep, that's what oh, I had man. on, man. Yeah. Man, oh, man. You, I mean, you can't get more Acadiana than listening to K-Ball while you're driving over the Atchafalaya Basin. I, I tell you, I, I, I'm serious. I, I've never heard. And, 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 yeah, I'm sure people down here, you're used to those songs all the time and, and, and just, uh, wow, it, it blew my mind. It really did. And I'm like, yeah, here we are. I, I'm in the home of the Cajuns now. I, th- I think we've made a Zydeco fan out of Russ Eisenstein. Can, can, can I be honest? I can probably sing along with 50% of the songs on K-Ball, and I don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> None of us do. <laughs> None of us do. We like we like to act like we know, but we don't really know. We really don't. But, but yeah. I mean, think, think – Think about it from my standpoint. I, I and I'm not saying that it's 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 bad. I'm I'm saying like I went to the coolest moon ever. Like to me, this is this is just a, it's a culture that's just so different from growing up in the Chicagoland area or being in Appalachian, Ohio. But I mean, cool in such an awesome way, uh, different in a, in such an awesome way. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm all for it. Uh, bring on all of this kind of Cajun culture. Uh, leading into the game on Thursday night. Now we just need to get you a Cajun girl. Yeah, please. By all means, I, I <laughs> single. You, no, forty-one. Well, we've already we've already established that I'm devilishly handsome. So right. we we all know that's that's that. But but you know one, one piece of advice I'm going to give you about a Cajun girl, especially yep. for for out of towners. <laughs> if, if, if you if you, if you marry one, they're gonna uh-huh. they're gonna convert you. That's you okay. will you will be a Cajun for the rest of your life. I think. Well, uh, I think we I, I've got a lot of things. I got a lot of things that make up me. You know, Chicagoland, Jewish, add Cajun to the mix. We're, we're, I'm fine with that. I think what my young friend is trying to ask you, Russ, is if you're familiar with the crazy hot matrix. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I've never discussed such things on the air before, uh, but but yes, off air, I, I'm familiar with, with a term that has been coined what you just said, yes. Oh, my God. Anyways, let's let's talk let's about... Do, let's do the football so we can Let's have talk about football now. Are we talking about football here? What are we talking about? I mean... Uh, at first, I thought we were, but but now we, we might be we might be playing the the Cajun dating game with Russ Eisenstein. But no, sure, sure. you know, Russ. Maybe question you, segment. Question number one: You you brought up the tropical storm. Uh, at yep. one point, it was Hurricane Nicholas, so we'll refer to it as Hurricane Nicholas. You know how? Let's talk about how that could affect our game Thursday night between the Cajuns and the Bobcats. Uh, you know, we've heard some rumors around Lafayette of it possibly being moved to Friday? 
um, depending on conversations between the two universities. What What are your thoughts on that? How do you think this could affect Thursday night's matchup? Well, as of right now, and, and when we're taping this at, at 9.20 Eastern on what day is today, Tuesday, um, my understanding is that, that if Ohio gets here on Wednesday, that the game is going to be played um, on Thursday. And I, I saw the itinerary. Um, I think Ohio is uh, leaving Athens at around noon. They, we, we fly out of uh, Rickenbacker Airport, which is in Columbus, which is a, kind of a secondary, kind of more um, uh, freight airport than anything else, uh, and, and military base as well. So um, they're expected to be on the plane, and, and it's a, about a two-hour flight, hopefully a little bit less than that. Uh, down here, and so as of right now, unless weather gets in the way, which it appears that everything's okay right now, uh, that as long as they get down here, the, the game's going to be played. But um, yeah, that, that obviously would be a natural thing to think about with with weather and the tropical storm. But I haven't heard anything from Ohio's perspective that would change the fact that that this game is expected and, and hopefully will be played on Thursday night. Now, while, while we're on this topic, tell tell our listeners, you know. Give us a Ohio ed, uh, weather lesson, if you will. Um, are the Bobcats built well to play in inclement weather conditions? Are are they used to it? Does it happen often in Athens? You know, what can they expect? Uh, no, we we don't get hurricanes very often in Athens. In fact, the next hurricane that we get would be the first. So playing in one would be—I <laughs> I say that sarcastically—but um, but but. Bad weather. We haven't had a whole lot of games that way. I, ironically enough, one of the few weather delays that we've had in Athens was when southeastern Louisiana came to town. Um, gosh, I, I can't even remember how many years ago. Maybe five, six years ago uh, for a non-conference game, and there was a, a, a weather delay then. Uh, Ohio played in a, a, a rainstorm, just a, a, a just a very rainy day in Muncie, Indiana, a couple of years ago, two years ago. Uh, last year was obviously last year, and Ohio only played three games. So we haven't had a whole lot of uh, rain, stormy type games. So this one will be a little different. And I think it'd be even further different if Cajun Field still had grass, uh, as opposed to the field turf that you all have now. So what what, what you're telling everybody? Um, you know, we are we are a podcast that loves the Cajuns and is eh to most other schools, and we despise three of them um so are, are you telling us that southeastern brought bad weather to athens <laughs> i i don't i don't know if they brought it it was just one of those days where um there was a lightning delay and in fact i so i did a kind of an fcs recap for one of the produced opens um that we do last week and Ohio previous to last week had a 16 game winning streak against FCS competition. And I pulled up a couple of the highlights from that game. The, the ISDN lines, we weren't on the internet at that time, but the ISDN lines, in fact, that they were affected. Um, so we kind of had a double whammy on the field. We had a lightning delay. And apparently after that, that affected the ISDN lines. Uh, Ohio won over Southeastern Louisiana. And if they brought it, the Ohio won. Uh, I, I'm sure they didn't do it though. Uh, it's just kind of coincidence. So, so Russ, um, right now, two games through the season, uh, 
first question is how, how is the overall health of the Bobcats uh, through these two games? Um, what, what, if, what can we expect as far as an injury report for Thursday night, any key players out, anybody banged up, um, or are we going to see 22 starters go against the Cajuns? What's it looking like right now for that? Yeah. yeah Ohio's had some difficulty with injuries on the offensive line and, and we'll see if we get a couple of those guys back on Thursday night. Uh, much like every other school, pretty close to the best when it comes to reporting injuries. Uh, but it has been talked about that Ohio has some issues on the, on the offensive line. Um, and that's, that's just another element to, to what has been a, a tough start for the Cats. But, but aside from that, uh, the guy has been out. One of Ohio's key linebackers, Steve Thompson, has been out uh, in the first two weeks. I haven't heard anything that would change the fact that he's not going to be there. Um, but there's nothing new uh, to add to the offensive line. Ohio did have a long snapper injury. Uh, prior to last week, uh, and I don't know if that's going to change leading into this week. So um, the injuries Ohio's had prior to the start of the year uh, and a couple of offensive linemen um, from week one uh, and a long snapper going into week two. That, that's the stuff that's been public as far as Ohio's injuries. Right, right. Well, um, last year, um, obviously COVID hit, affected pretty much every team in the country. Uh, I know the MAC decided to play a, uh, a conference only schedule. Uh, seems that Ohio was able to, they were, they, the team was able to get three games in, but I believe it was three more. It was a six game schedule and three of those games were canceled. Ohio finished mm-hmm. the season with a two on one record. Uh, how, how do you, based off that year, I know it was probably a very unusual season for everybody, but has that affected Ohio through these first two games, only playing three games last year? What, what was it like uh, with last year through the COVID season? And, and what kind of impact has that brought to these to this season, including these first two games? It, it really didn't even feel like it was a season, to be honest. It, it, it just kind of felt like a, a thing that happened, and then it didn't happen, and it was over. It was just so odd um, to watch other teams' seasons happen. Um, and from my standpoint, not broadcast games, but but to, uh, for from a team standpoint, uh, not to play games. Uh, so watching the Cajuns from afar have 11 games in a season as opposed to Ohio's three was just so weird. I, I, and, and we could say the whole year was weird, and that was just another part of it. I mean, the fact that um, the, the season was canceled, then it was brought back, and then there were stops, and there were starts, and then there was stop again, and um, just three games. And, and in fact, Ohio's first game, uh, just 2020 going to 2020, um, there was a power outage briefly at Central Michigan uh, before the end of the first half. Um, and so <laughs> we're, we're playing. It's the first game. And all right, here we go. And then before halftime, the power goes out in the stadium. Um, and it was only just isolated to the state. We could see stores on the other side of the street in Mount Plus when Ohio was. And, and uh, yeah, when the power goes out, they moved halftime to the delay. And so you only had basically a five minutes or whatever TV timeout break in between the, the second and third quarter because he had halftime already. So there were just so many things about the year that were so weird for so many people. And just the fact that Ohio had three games, it didn't even feel like anything. Uh, Ohio did go two and one to be fair, beat two of the, the, the worst teams in the league last year, Akron and Bowling Green. 
Um, and then it was over. And then boom, you know, from a just moving on in life standpoint, Ohio went to the NCAA tournament in basketball. And that was weird too, because, you know, everything was played in Indianapolis or at IU or, or Purdue. So all of it, all of 2020 into 2021 was so weird. So the fact that we're on the road, hopefully we play this game Thursday night, no delays, no issues. Um, hopefully we're, we're back a little bit more normal than we were last year. Russ, before I ask my question, I just want to say sincerely, man, thanks for taking time out of your your Cajun uh, uh, tourist time to have some fun with us. I really do appreciate it. I know the other guys do, too. So I wanted to say that. But uh, to bring it back to 2021, obviously, you guys are coming off of a loss to Duquesne. Uh, and we jokingly all agreed before the podcast that we didn't even know Duquesne played football. So, you know, you learn something new every week. And um, that was new for me. But, uh, it, you know, being serious about it, from a, from a team's perspective, mentally, how are the guys handling it? How has the staff reacted to this over the week and doing interviews and yeah. everything that they've had to deal with uh, with the fallout of losing to a D2 school? I mean, what's that been like? Well, uh, and, and first off, it, it, it's my pleasure to do this. I mean, guys, I, I, I'm just a, a, a regular guy. We're all regular guys. We love sports. We love doing this. And, and I just so happen to, to get to broadcast it. And, and, and what you guys do and your fandom with your school and, and the program that you love is, is awesome, too. And, and the friendship that we struck uh, uh, years ago now is, is, is really cool that that can continue. So it's good to be here and hopefully see you guys in person you know, tomorrow night and Thursday as well. Um, then from the standpoint of Ohio, look, it, it, there, there's a whole lot to it. Um, Ohio, based on the region that Ohio is in, there is not the media scrutiny, um, even that you might find in Lafayette, where, where we don't have, you know, the, the three or four TV stations. We don't have the, the, the daily beat writer that, that you might have with this program here. Um, you don't have a, a, a radio uh, talk show um, uh, that, that really covers the program so intensely. So um, if it's going to happen, um, Ohio didn't have to deal with that kind of media glare or scrutiny that goes with losing to an FCS team. Um, so that, in some ways, I guess is a positive if you're going to have one from, from that loss. Um, but, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm an FCS graduate. Uh, I went to Southern Illinois University. There's nothing wrong with the FCS level. I think there are a lot of teams on the FCS level um, that probably wouldn't do very well on the FCS level, and there's nothing wrong with an FCS national championship. But there are differences when it comes to FCS teams. And to be very fair, the team that, that Louisiana played on Saturday night is on a different level than the team than, uh, that Ohio played on Saturday. Um, Duquesne is, is not uh, to the, the maximum of scholarships that, that Nickel State or other teams in the Southland might be. So it, 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 was, it was eye-opening, and it was, it, was, it was a humbling loss, to be sure. Um, and, and the broadcast, it was, it, it, was, it was, again, another one of those things. Like it, it was surreal as it was happening because Duquesne really controlled the game. Um, and to their credit, the team that won deserved to win the game. And the fact that it was a two-point loss was, was pretty remarkable considering the way that Ohio played in the game. 
Um, and the fact that Ohio had a chance with the two-point conversion to try to force it into overtime, that, that would have that would have helped, but it is what it is. So, you know, I talked with one of Ohio's captains for the coach's show that I did on, on Monday night, Cam Odom, wide receiver, and, and a very well-respected player and just a really, really good guy. Um, and we talked about it. The players had a player-only meeting on Sunday, and I figured they would, and they did. Um, and I'm sure they talked about all the things that you would need to talk about when you lose to an FCA team. And so right now, that's in the rear view today. And they know the type of program Louisiana is. And they know the opportunity that exists on Thursday night it's on ESPN. And they know that they better play better than they did against Syracuse and, and, and against Duquesne if they have a chance of winning this game on Thursday night. So in totality, yeah. It's been tough on them. There isn't the scrutiny that you might have when other FPS teams lose to an FPS. Um, but I think that they closed ranks, and, and I think that they're doing the things they need to do uh, to lead into this game with the circumstances that they're facing. Full disclosure, and this is really a testament to my compartmentalization skills, I completely spaced on the fact that we were pick six away from losing to an FCS school on Saturday. So that smart ass remark did not land well after I said it. <laughs> so sorry. But, but you know what though? I mean, here's, here's the thing. It, and, and that's okay. You take a look at the rest of the country. I mean, there have been seven or eight, you know, FCS over FCS upsets this year. Yeah. And, and, and the way that the way that it went down in Tallahassee, you know, Jacksonville State. The difference, though, is from, from Ohio's perspective, that it just came out of a, it, it didn't necessarily come out of nowhere, but it, it just wasn't something that even you, you really thought of. Like, all right, th- there's a chance of being upset here. But as the game just kind of went along, it just, it just kind of transpired that Duquesne was the better team on that day. And you got to tip your, tip your cap to the Dukes. For, for that, and and end of the day, Ohio's 0-2, and, and you guys and Louisiana survives against a regional team that's FCS that's been to the playoffs before uh, and will be there again. So, you know what? I mean, the phrase, it is what it is, is, is overused, but but literally, it is what it is. And, and, and Louisiana's 1-1, one one, Ohio's 0-2, and, and unfortunately, we had hoped that there'd be potential that both teams would be 2-0 going into this first showcase. But that isn't the case. It is what it is, and here we are. No doubt. Yeah, you mentioned it. Um, and no no sense in pouring salt in the ruin. You guys lost to Syracuse, lost to Duquesne. This is your first road test of the season in 2021. Um, do you maybe feel like it's a good thing to get out of Athens for the weekend? Uh, well, actually, it's been a little bit longer than that. I know um, it's a little bit of a short turnaround, just like it is for us. But sometimes getting away from home and getting out of your comfort zone can be a good thing. Do you feel like that's the case for Ohio State or excuse me, Ohio Bobcats this week? Yeah, it's just one of those things where um, you're eventually going to have to play a road game. Uh, But the fact that it is such a short turnaround uh, and the fact that it is a longer trip, there there are a lot of circumstances here that certainly aren't in Ohio's favor Um, with the game being on Thursday as opposed to a normal Saturday and and the fact that uh, Ohio's getting on a plane as opposed to a bus where um, you know, we Ohio doesn't take that many plane trips throughout the course of the year. So there are a lot of things here that that are different than your normal road trip. But you know, if Ohio's going to refocus 
get back things going the way that they feel that they should go, it's going to happen at some point. Uh, But there are a lot of unique factors here. And then add the fact of of the tropical storm, and and I don't know how up in the air or in limbo this game actually was or is. Uh, But there are a lot of things to battle here. So, uh, yeah. And, 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 oh, by the way, playing a Louisiana team that wants to get right to I would imagine the worst one of the one of the worst things that happened for Ohio was the fact that uh, Louisiana, I'm sure, feels it did not play its best brand of football against Nichols. And uh, with this game and 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 the ESPN uh, cameras on it, uh, I'm sure that Louis Napier and, and every member of his staff and, and every player on that team wants to play their best on Thursday night. So Ohio's going to get the best of the occasion. And uh, the Bobcats better bring it as well. Russ, um, first two games, uh, I, I was able to watch some of the highlights against Syracuse. It looked like the Ohio defense pretty much held its own uh, for the most part. And uh, at the end, it looks like they ran out of a ran out of energy. I know the offense really couldn't get things going. And then, of course, when I watched uh, the last five or six minutes, I believe I, I told you that I watched the last few minutes, that last touchdown before that failed two-point conversion attempt. It looked looked like Ohio's two-minute offense did pretty well. Uh, Rourke was able to get some nice passes off. They had a little bit of promise in their passing game in that last minute. So there are some positives here. Uh, What are some positives have you seen so far, even with the the shaky start, that can help Ohio have a chance to win this game on Thursday night? Yeah, it's tough to... It's tough to be Peter positive in an zero and two starts of the year when you when you lose to Syracuse and you don't score a touchdown and then you lose to FCS Duquesne in, in week two and you know you you can look at the fact that you know Ohio did take the opening kickoff back for a touchdown against Duquesne um, Ohio did miss the extra point there after that uh, but but the touchdown was taken back and Demontre Tuggle is is a bright spot and this, and he's going to be the focus of, of the pregame produced open, uh, that I'll, uh, tweet out on, uh, Wednesday. Uh, but, uh, Tuggle's one of those guys that has been a bright spot. Uh, Jerome Buckner is another, uh, he wears eight wide receiver, uh, kind of an all over the field sort of guy at over a hundred yards against Syracuse. Um, Curtis Ward, brother of Nate needs to be a little bit more consistent. I think, um, and I think he's shown some signs, but but really, what you would expect from a team being 0-2 and, and, and how they played, um, consistency has been an issue. If Ohio was a little bit more consistent against Duquesne, Ohio wins the game. Uh, if Ohio was a little bit more consistent in drives, uh, third down conversions in the red zone against Syracuse, uh, perhaps Ohio's in line to win that game. But Ohio's lack of, of of, of uh, a very high number of bright spots um, shows that they're an 0 and 2 team right now. And they got to try to find some things there. Uh, put a little bit more pressure on the quarterback. Turn teams over. Ohio hasn't been able to do that as of yet. So uh, we've seen glimpses, but we haven't seen it all the way through. Um, and that's part of the reason why they can't throw 0 2. And I mentioned about Trey Tuggle. Cool story here. Uh, DeMontre um, is from Channel View, Texas, but his mother is, is from Lafayette. And uh, uh, family members, uh, a lot of them are from Lafayette. And so I talked to him about playing here at Cajun Field, a, a, a stadium that he's gone by so many times in his life. 
Uh, and he's going to have 50 to 100 family members on Thursday night in the crowd. And so he's really excited uh, to do what he does on the field in front of uh, uh, really all of his family and, and friends, but but also I'm sure a lot of people that might know him in the crowd too. So that's another cool story to this uh, matchup on Thursday night. Well, now I hope DeMontre just has 100 yards and a couple touchdowns. I mean, why, why wouldn't you root for that kid? But no, Russ... You know, one one question I have, you brought up Curtis Rourke. Um, you know, it seems like for the last five years now, uh, a quarterback with the last name Rourke in green and white has, has kind of been the norm. Uh, talk about Curtis. Compare him and him and Nathan, and uh, how has he performed through two games so far this year? Yeah, Curtis, um, the younger brother of, of Nathan, who is now with the BC Lions and the CFL, and we thought just based on the injury setup that they had, um, that he might be uh, the starter with the Lions. Uh, has not been, at least to this point in the year. But um, I think the difference is with the, with the two of them, um, Nate is, a, is probably a better runner than Curtis is, and Curtis is probably a better passer than Nate is. Uh, but you take a look at the combined touchdowns, that, that Nathan had as, as a starter in Ohio. Um, it's really remarkable, and, and one of the top quarterbacks that Ohio's ever had. Uh, one of Ohio's assistants now is Tyler Tettleton, uh, who has some ties to uh, uh, Oklahoma and, and LSU as well. Uh, and so he's back in Athens, and so um, a, a member of Ohio's coaching staff is one of Ohio's best quarterbacks uh, ever. And so hopefully that will pay dividends for Curtis and all quarterbacks in the future, but um, much like anything else, um, like I talked about in the previous question, um, you know, Ohio's looking for consistency. And I think Curtis is looking for that, too. Uh, we've seen some, some bright spots, the, the flickering of, of some flourishing offense there. But we haven't seen it all the way. So um, he's worked on his running game a little bit more. Uh, did score a touchdown last week. So that is a bright spot. Um, and I think ideally... The offense that Tim Albin has that, that he's run over the last you know sixteen years as, as Ohio's offensive coordinator. Ohio ideally has a dual threat quarterback ability, um, and so Curtis has worked on that. Ohio does have the changeup quarterback in Armani Rogers, who was a, a QB at UNLV, transferred to Ohio, and and he had eighteen touchdowns through the air and eighteen on the ground. He wears eighteen, so that number is important to him. And so Ohio does have that ability with the run game um, with Armani. So we'll see now two games in with two quarterbacks that have played before. Will Ohio make that change on Thursday night? I, I, I don't know, but, but that certainly is a possibility. So, so Russ, um, you know, the rest of your roster looks pretty experienced, uh, returning 17 starters from last season. Now, here's the thing, though. Replacing a lot of production at running back, uh, but with that said, the last two games they've seen. We looks like you've seen some promise. Uh, O'Shawn Allison, redshirt junior, looks like he got a few carries last weekend. Looked pretty good. You got Demontre Tuggle, who scored a touchdown against Duquesne last week. So it looks like these two running backs as a duo uh, look like they show some promise. Uh, what are, What are your impressions of them, and should we be familiar with those names on Thursday night at Cajun Field? Yeah, you know I. I've- really think just if you were to just take a look at the Montre and, and throw it out that obviously you want your Cajun defense to, to stop him. 
Um, I think he's the type of runner that any team or program would love to have. Um, he, he's, he's built solid. Uh, he can take a hit. He stays on balance. He can hit the hole. He can get to the edge. He can turn the corner. He has very good vision. He's also good on special teams, obviously. He took a touchdown back last week against Duquesne. He did uh, that against Central Michigan last year as well. And, and also, add to that, he's just a really good young man. Uh, I enjoy visiting with him. He's soft-spoken. He's humble. Um, and then from the standpoint of playing in this game, he is so excited about being down here to play against, against the Cajuns. You know? So um, I, I expect him uh, to have a, a very good game because I know it means a lot to him, but I also know that he's shown that ability. You know, he's had multiple touchdown games in his career, um, and, and, and what he did in the short season last year was incredibly impressive. And then, oh, Sean Allison last week. Yeah, I guess over 1,000 yards in his Bobcat career. Um, we'll see how Ohio starts to use those two together. And remember, you know, Tim Elvin's the head coach now, uh, not the offensive coordinator anymore. So he's seeing the game on the field maybe a little differently than he did as the OC. So we'll see how they start to use those two running backs in tandem together. Um, and I think week three uh, against a good team like Louisiana, yeah, you're going to have to do some things that might be a little different. Uh, and so we'll see how Ohio shakes up those running backs um, and, and decides to use them uh, this week. Russ Eisenstein has been our guest. Russ, let's go to the defensive side of the football now. Uh, you know, familiar names up and down that list. I, I pulled up the stat sheet from our game with Ohio two years ago. And, you know, right off the top, I found five guys on that defensive side that are still with the program now. We'll get to play against the Cajuns twice. Jaron Hampton, Kai Caesar, Will Evans, Tariq Drake, and Zach Burke. You know, Talk about talk about those guys. What is a realistic expectation for this defense um, coming off of your transitional year last year where you kind of had a bend-but-don't-break mentality? Well, it, it, it's a unit that, that needs to start making some bigger plays. And I think Tim Albin has talked about the fact that they need to start creating uh, a little bit more havoc and they need to start creating turnovers. When Ohio, and this is not a shock because I think every team is that way, um, but when defenses create turnovers um, and then that number starts to rise and you're way in your favor in the plus-minus ratio on turnovers, you're probably going to do well and you're going to win games. Ohio's minus one right now. and Ohio hasn't created a turnover um, in two, and it's just two weeks, so it's a small sample size, but something's got to start happening there. Uh, I think that the veteran nature is in the secondary. And you mentioned some guys, you know, Jamal Hudson and Darren Hampton and, and Alvin Floyd is the captain now. And, and uh, so those are guys that uh, need to start making plays. And I think they, they do. This is not just Peter positive sort of stuff, because I think you guys know me well enough that I'm, I'm not necessarily that way. If it doesn't make sense. But I think Ohio does have the ability to cause some havoc. I really do. Um, a guy in the defensive line, and I talked to, with him about this topic. Uh, Will Evans, uh, who wears nine for Ohio, he's the type of guy, when you see him coming off the bus, you, you'll look at him and say, that, that guy's a ball player. And when you see him in his stance and you see him on the D-line, I, I think you would take a look at him and say, you know what, he's got the ability to be a player. And he's been with Ohio for a number of years now. I mean, he's a fifth-year senior. 
Um, and so we talked about this being a breakout year for him. And I think he has that ability. And, and from, from the defensive line standpoint, it's not as veteran of a group as the secondary. And Ohio lost some guys in the linebacking core and won, won the injury to this point. So um, the secondary is the veteran part of the defense. Well, I would like to cause a little bit more disruption. I think Will Evans can help anchor that D-line a little bit more. And I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see if Ohio can cause a little bit of havoc um, for that Cajun offense on Thursday night. For the little bit that I've been able to see Ohio play, I agree with your assessment on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I'm glad you said that because it kind of confirmed some worries that I had. I'd love to ask you about special teams. Uh, it feels like every single time that I've watched Ohio play for, I don't know, something that feels like eight to 10 years, they were strong in special teams. And uh, we had a coach here that used to win games solely on special teams and Ricky Bustle. Um, it felt like while Ricky was here, we were always in the top 15 in the country in special teams. Um, you guys end up losing Coach Brian Hayes to App State after nine years at Ohio. And I'm just curious, has it – have my eyes deceived me? Has Ohio really been that good on special teams? Has it made the difference in games over the last, you know, eight to ten years? And have you seen a, a dramatic difference since he's been gone? You know, Ohio's been able to rely on a consistent kicking game. And I mean, field goals, extra points, punting, kickoff. Um, and so you're, you're right when you, when you look at the fact that, yeah, Ohio has been consistent in that area of the game. I mean, that's pretty spot on. And that's pretty down the line sort of analysis of a team that you might not see every week. So that's, that's pretty good. Uh, Ohio's been able to rely on the kick game. I mean, you could go back uh, for, a, for a number of years, uh, Ohio's ability uh, from place picking and extra points. I mean, you know, Bobcat fans can remember the kickers that the Cats have had, and even in, in, the, in, in the punting side of things. So uh, it's a little bit different this year when you don't have uh, the veteran nature of that unit any longer. Um, and yeah, Ohio does. To, to find um, uh, a place kicker as the starting place kicker this year. There were a couple of options there, but there have already been a couple of missed extra points and a couple of missed field goals. Um, and, and if you look back to this past week, those points probably would have helped. And the fact that Ohio was safety for the second straight week, which I hadn't seen in a long time. And hopefully that doesn't happen this week because I think that'd be a Mac record. But, um, yeah, special teams and those kind of special plays have been very important. Uh, and already to this point this year, and particularly last week, um, missing out on a couple of those. You know, Ohio, uh, it was a longer field goal, but Stephen Johnson missed one from long, um, uh, 50 yards, and that's tough. Uh, transfer, making a long kick very early on in your career at your new, new spot. So, you know, obviously you can understand how that would be a, a difficult situation for him. But, yeah, I, I, I think that, if Ohio's going to be good, Ohio's going to have to turn the teams over and they're going to have to find some special teams plays. And the good part about it is when you have a player like Demontre Tuggle, like we talked about, a guy that can return kicks for you, you can always take one back to the house. And he's always, always there to do that. Well, I know we only have a couple, a few questions left for you, but for me, the last thing that I'm going to ask you to do is go out and win the Mac. Please, for God's sake, win the damn Mac. I need the strength of schedule help. 
I need it badly, especially after the first two weeks of this season. So, so Russ, go sprinkle some magic football playing dust on your boys and get out there and win the Mac. Well, well, first off, I'm I'm going to win the Mac, and we're going to win the Mac from a broadcasting standpoint. Does that help you at all, Rob Cornelius and I? Are, control we're, what we're, you can control, baby. <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> but I, no, I'm telling you, we we have good announcers in the Mac, and 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 all that. But yeah, I. Every time that I go on the air, I've got a thing like, hey, this is one of the best broadcasts in the country. The broadcast presentation that we bring to the table. I mean, if you guys go on your podcast and you don't think that you're one of the best podcasts in the country, then why are you even doing it? I mean, for real. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's what I bring to the table from the broadcast side. And you guys will meet my, my color analyst, Rob Cornelius, on this trip as well. And, and yeah, that's what we bring. But yeah, it, it would be about time that Ohio got it done. 1968 was the last time Ohio won the Mac. Uh, that's the longest drought of any team that's in the league, and Ohio is the last charter member left in the Mac. And uh, I, I guess that's something to point to, and, and that's why this game is so important, too. I mean, yeah, 0-2 is done. There's nothing Ohio can do about it. Uh, but to get things right for the league, I'd say playing well or winning down here against the Cajuns, That'd be real good to lead into the start of back play uh, after Northwestern. And that's why this, this two-week deal here, this double play on the schedule, at Louisiana, at Northwestern next week, this is probably one of the more difficult back-to-backs in my 14 years as Voice of the Cast from a non-conference standpoint. Uh, so this is, this is a tough time for sure. Now, I better start playing well uh, because, yeah, that's all in four is a possibility, but if Ohio can win here, maybe, you know, you win at Northwestern next week, anything's possible. Russ, man, I can't thank you enough for being on with us. But before we let you go, we do have a few questions in regards to the Cajuns. Um, you know, for those who, for, for all you listeners who follow us on Twitter and social media, uh, Russ uh, did a, a preview uh, audio of, of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns from the Ohio standpoint. Which did a fantastic job, by, by yeah, the way. By the way, awesome absolutely job. phenomenal. Super good. Super good. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Um, but I do that. Do that do that every week um, for every opponent that Ohio plays. And yeah, there was a little extra, a little extra gusto on the gumbo this week for the Cajuns for sure. <laughs> and that little spice. So, so with that, Russ, uh, for those who didn't get the chance to listen, talk a little bit about your impressions of the Cajuns, uh, what you expect, what are the strengths and weaknesses from this Louisiana football team that yeah. we already know, but as an outsider's perspective, what you see and what you can expect the Cajuns to show on Thursday night against the Bobcats. Yeah, I, I mean it. I, I think that um, this region, um, this fan base, this town, um, this bond with this football program is really special. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people try to say that elsewhere about, well, this is my town, my team. This is my region. This is my school. No, I really get the sense. And I haven't been here for 24 hours yet. But I get the sense, even through, you know, a whole lot of people not being on the streets because of, you know, tropical storm, whatever else, about how important this program, this school, this, this team is to this place and following it from afar and getting to know you guys over the years. Uh, it, it all makes sense. It really does. And so this football team is a point of pride for you, 
Uh, and for so many other people in Acadiana, in Lafayette, in, in Southern Louisiana, Southwest Louisiana. So that's, that's something special and that should not be taken for granted. And the stuff that you guys do, the fact that you guys have a podcast dedicated and the time that you guys put into your program, that doesn't happen elsewhere. I mean, we, we don't have that in Ohio. That, 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 that's a great thing. I, it, it's just really an awesome thing. So from the outside looking into this program, um, nothing but respect, uh, high level, uh, a class operation, a winning operation uh, from a head coach on down. Uh, heck, even the social media stuff I love uh, because they use the play-by-play cuts from Jay Walker on the pump-up stuff. And I, I, I love that kind of stuff, too, as a broadcaster. Uh, so it's, it's everything. It's how this program represents itself. Um, it, it, it's a first-class sort of deal. And it is a, a level to which I think that lots of other schools in the MAC or the Sun Belt, uh, Conference USA, whatever other league, could aspire to be. Um, and that's why it's going to be real cool to be there on Thursday night. This dude's, but- that. This dude's buttering us up. Uh, maybe well, no, wait, wait, no. Cut the clip. Cut the clip. Send it to Brian and have him send it to every league that we're trying to get into right now. That's the clip right there. Maybe maybe he wants us to buy like all of his old fashions tomorrow night. Like he's no, he's for real buttering us up. But but for real, guys, you, I would not say it if I didn't believe it. Um, but that's the that's the impression that I get of this program. That's the impression that I get of this fan base. Look, I was at the 2016 New Orleans Bowl against what Southern Miss, um, and I saw the passion that the fans had. I saw the passion of the fans that went to the basketball game earlier that day, that day against UNO, and I thought, wow, this is the type of fan base that I love. You know, getting after it, having fun, having a good time, uh, and rooting on their team. So from from the fan base to, to the team to the coaching staff, the administration, to the university, to the town, to the region, and the fans all over the country or world. Um, it is a, a classy sort of setup for the case. Um, and then past that, this team. Look, I, I know you guys wanted to play better at Texas. I know how important that game was to you. Um, there are going to be a whole lot of teams in the country that will lose at Texas by 20 on that day. I know you're not happy, but all right, you move on. You get past an FCS team that had a whole lot of pride to play for on their end. It is not just your normal FCS sort of matchup. And and Nichols had a whole lot of stuff going on on their end, obviously through Ida and and being relocated and a whole bunch of guys on their team that probably wish that they were changing themselves and playing on that field in a different uniform. So there's a lot to that game. That's why I think this game is so important to Louisiana. And I know that Ohio is going to get Louisiana's best effort on Thursday night. And so the Bobcats better bring their best. Because I'm sure that after the first two weeks, Billy Napier, his staff, and everybody that has some influence in that program is going to get their guys to try to play their absolute best. On ESPN, on a Thursday night, when the game is in in October and November, this is a treat. This is amazing. This is showcase stuff. So I see an offense that has an ability. I see a defense that has better. You guys got guys on your defense that have played there for like 10 years. I mean, I look at how many veterans you have. 
Um, so I have a, I, I have a, a great uh, admiration for the program. Um, and, and I think this is a really good team. And one and one didn't beat Texas, whatever. You, you guys have a chance to have a really good year. And from Ohio's perspective, I hope Ohio can beat Louisiana because it, it would be a very, very good win. It would be a great win. And I think it could send Ohio to beating Northwestern the week after that. And I think it could get Ohio going in the right direction. That's what this game means to Ohio. This would be a massive win for the Cats. And I hope they get it. But if they don't, I hope you all win the Sun Belt. And I hope you all win another bowl game, too. God, we all hope so. Shout out to our boy, Farad Gardner, seventh-year senior for the Cajuns. I mean, <laughs> dude just doesn't want to leave. Farad walking around here on, like, crushes and canes. And right, stuff. <laughs> just doesn't want to leave. He's like the Cajuns' Van Wilder. <laughs> <laughs> Russ Eisenstein has been our guest. Russ, we appreciate you taking the time, man. Enjoy Lafayette, Louisiana, and uh, tomorrow night we'll make sure we treat you real well. You guys are the best. Uh, I love your passion. I love your love your fandom uh, for your program. And, uh, yeah, the, the spirit that you guys have for your school and, and your football team is, is really something special. So, yeah, absolutely. Look forward to seeing you guys, and you could you could buy all the drinks for me that you'd like. Oh, we 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 plan on it. Don't worry. <laughs> Count on it, buddy. Thanks, Russ. Appreciate you, bro. Good we'll times, take a, Russ. You back, guys. Thank you. We'll take a break here on Rage and Review, and when we come back, we'll wrap up this interview and we'll talk about some Cajuns in the NFL. Don't go anywhere. Rage and Review. Back after this. Acadiana business owners, are you looking for custom solutions from local professionals that understand your business needs? Maybe you're looking to streamline your processes, become more efficient, and achieve elevated peace of mind? Utilizing and combined 30 years of experience in the financial and technology fields, the Vaulted Security Team is ready to assist you with reaching your goals. From credit card processing, internet and phone services, website hosting and design, to hosted cloud, even digital marketing and recovery software, Vaulted Security can do it all. Here's a message from Solutions Specialist, Anna Bourgeois. Hi, I'm Anna Bourgeois, your Solutions Specialist, and it's my goal to understand how we can make your business run more efficiently while increasing profits. I'm very passionate about doing business genuinely. In the merchant services industry and other business areas, it's hard to find a partner that you can trust without question. I'm here to change that perception. Give me a chance to show you what true partnership is all about. Contact Anna today at 337-210-4272 or email Anna at Vaulted Security. Welcome back to Region Review, the third and final segment of the evening. We have talked conference realignment. We have put the game against Nichols very far in our rearview mirror. And we have gone behind enemy lines with Russ Eisenstein. Which, by the way, was probably the friendliest behind enemy lines conversation that we have ever had on Region Review. I think, I think we only have one in that category. I mean, yeah, it, it's it it was pretty uh, pretty remarkable. So tomorrow night, obviously, like we talked about in that interview, we're taking Russ Eisenstein to dinner. 
um, which will be fun. We're we're gonna we're gonna show him how how Cajuns enjoy some alcohol. We'll try to liquor him up and indoctrinate him so the Bobcat broadcast sounds like a Cajun broadcast. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be awesome. So let's wrap that interview up, and we'll talk some other Cajun news. Um, you know, the the current line score, according to ESPN, if I'm if I'm reading correctly, we are. Oh, hold on. It was twenty two. And I imagine that be down. It is. It is at twenty. Mm hmm. With an over-under of 57. Well, that's still a huge number, considering how we've played. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not a betting man. But if I was, as much as I love the Cajuns, I think my money would be going on Ohio plus 20. Not saying we, uh, would, not saying we would lose. You don't I think we'll cover. I just don't think we're going to cover. I haven't researched the game yet because obviously the short week is always tough to navigate. Um, but on this, on the surface, 22 points where it started seemed absurd, you know, especially coming off of Nichols. Uh, but at first glance, I'm taking points with, with Ohio. I mean, honestly, I'm not giving that out as an official pick. Obviously I'm going to put some work into it, but uh, Razor Review is one and one on the season now because of that gigantic egg that we laid two weeks ago but we're not going to speak of that anymore but so you know what is that uh 12 and one in two seasons so far so i think we're doing doing all right but yeah on the surface it looks like ohio with the points but we'll do some research and i'll i'll send something out tomorrow yeah i mean obviously this is going to be a game like russ said you know ohio's got a lot to play for we have a lot to play for I mean, God, their running back has Lafayette ties. How cool is that? Right. Um, so definitely, definitely a lot on the plate for both of these programs. Jerry, you're you yes. being you being kind of quiet. Are you? He's my thoughts, man. Are, He's are prepping you, for. Are for you? The, are you ready? Segment. Are you ready for man? I tell I'm you gathering, what. Gathering my thoughts, man. Just getting trying to get into the zone. Are you, are you ready for it? Let me let me play it again. Man, I tell you what. Beautiful. Let's roll, Beautiful. baby. Big cat. Take it away, bro. Well, my segment today, man, I tell you what, it's going to be a little bit of a review of what we talked about the first segment, kind of my opinions on everything, kind of fast track. And really right now, man, I've been getting, man, I tell you what, getting a lot of phone calls, a lot of text messages about the conference. What, Where are the Cajuns going to go? What's going to happen? Are they going to go to the American? Are they going to go to the Big 12? Are they going to go do this? Is conference? Are they going to move up to a conference like Conference USA? No, I'm not that. I'm I'm not that. Uh, uh, I'm not that gullible. I don't fall for that. But anyway, you know, just the, the reality is, is we we really don't know um, right now. You know, like like we talked about before, everything's go. Everything's moving in twenty different places. I call it conference musical chairs. It's the truth. You don't know what the Pac-12 is going to do. You don't know what the Big 12 is going to do. You don't even know what. What the, what, maybe the SEC might surprise us and add two more teams and make a mega super, super duper conference. I don't know. But with all of that, what needs to happen is that we need to see what these conferences, these bigger conferences do first before we, we, we get to what where we are. And that includes the American. And um, 
you know, really, we don't know what's going to happen yet because, of course, again, we don't know if Mike Oresco wants to go after the Georgia States and the Charlotte's or if he wants to go after the winning programs like the Coastals, App States, and Louisiana's. So we, let's just take a deep breath. Let's relax. Let's take, let's, let's take focus on what we can focus on now, and that's winning games. Let's win the game. Let's win the game on Thursday. We're playing a good Mac school, respectable G5 program. Let's take care of business then, and then we can start winning. We can start, you know, focusing on conference play and, you know, doing all of that. And then eventually that works your way up to get the amount of respect. But anyways, besides that, in order to put on a good dress rehearsal for the conference, now this is a two or three step process here. You got to impress people. One of the things we need to do is we need to continue to show up. We need to continue to donate to RCAF. We need to continue to wear red and support this program because money speaks, right? What do the conferences look at when they want you? They look at the budget. They look at your fan support. They look at your facilities. But it's the money that makes the world go round. You got to produce revenues. That includes fan support. So uh, with all this conference talk, you know, like, like I've always said, being big time costs money. You can't do it for free. You don't just go to the oak tree, the money tree oak tree in front of uh, Cajun Field and just pick out dollar bills whenever you feel like you want to raise money for something. You got you to continue your support. So all this conference talk, it's a 10-step it's a process. But in the meantime, right now, we're just scratching the surface. It's really the beginning. But we can't, like, like just drawing all these different conclusions on who's going where. We got a 37-page thread on Raging Page and wondering where we're going to go. And nobody's even said anything yet. They, the American hasn't even said anything. And we got 37 pages of what's going to happen, right? So yeah, let's just I take a deep breath. That. Let's just take a deep breath. Let's enjoy the football season right now. Let the people in charge like Dr. Savoy, Dr. Maggard, the great people that we hired to do the job, take care of it for us. And whatever happens, they're going to put us in the best place possible for this program to succeed. In the meantime, let's continue to gossip. It's fun. We can continue to talk about conference realignment. We can continue to talk about who's going where because it gives us a conversation. In reality, are we just blowing smoke? Or are we really talking about something with content? I don't know. But, hey, you know what? Well, you know, that's why That's why the game is played, baby, man. I tell oh, you what. Oh, my God. Anyways, you, you know, what we could do, what we could do is we, we could be certain people that say certain things about certain conference commissioners. Oh, I ain't touching that one. But you know, that's a song and dance for another day. Anyways, Cajuns in the NFL. Kevin Dotson played extremely well on Sunday for the Pittsburgh Steelers against the Buffalo Bills. They win for him, by the way, on the road. Sure was. Trey Vegas was activated to the 53-man. He looked great with his helmet on, on the sidelines. Ridiculous that he didn't get a touch. Trey, we're, Trey, we're, proud, of, we're proud of you regardless. We're proud of you regardless. But the, the storyline, the storyline has to be Elijah Mitchell, who made the 53-man right off the bat as a kick returner and was probably going to be a deep, a depth back. But due to, due to some injuries for the 49ers, who have just been absolutely plagued with injuries over the last couple of years, um, he ended up getting some significant playing time on Sunday and took advantage of it. Had a massive, what was it, 46-yard touchdown run? 
Um, ended up with 104 car- 104 yards on 19 carries and a touchdown. Um, but the 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 thing that's most surprising, most entertaining to me, um, is the fact that Elijah Mitchell will now be the starting running back for the 49ers now that Raheem Mostert will have season-ending knee surgery. Obviously, that part's not exciting. We, we, we pray for Raheem Mostert, obviously. But what this does for Eli in his young NFL career, I mean, he has the opportunity now to take the starting position and never, ever let it go. Rep the brand, dude. And look, there's a, there's a cool stat about that. He's the first running back drafted third round or lower to have over 100 yards and a touchdown in NFL history on opening day. Yeah, he's also, he's also the first Niner running back ever to rush for 100 yards in a debut. That's awesome. Unreal. I mean, you can't, you, 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 that, again, you can't pay for that kind of promotion. He's going to have Louisiana in his, you know, in his background and on his introductions in prime time and all that stuff. I mean, that's huge for us and great for Eli, great for the town of Erath, great for all the people that are connected to him. Yeah, I'm very, and it's it's safe to say how far he's come in just a short amount of time. I mean, we all knew how how, how much he did for for the Cajuns, but to see him do it in one game, I mean, his first NFL game to come out and just have a coming out party like that on 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 the on the big stage. Yeah, I mean, I remember I remember when I was my early college years, I was working part time at KTC, and it was the same time that Eli was at Erath. And, you know, I can remember editing Friday Night Football highlights and whatever else and, you know, watching this kid and I I was like, man, you know, he has a lot of talent, blah, blah, blah. But the one thing I noticed out of him was that he was going to be a project when he got to college. It was not going to be a step on the field and shine. He needed needed some ironing of of the details. And, uh, man, I mean, that's exactly what happened the second he got into Billy Napier's offense. Uh, I just think if he sure. if he stays healthy, man, he's a threat. Oh, one hundred percent. We know, you know, he battled some injuries in college, and you know, coming right out of high school. But again, if he can stay healthy, he's got all the tools. He's got all the intangibles. He's been trained the proper way. You know, yeah, this no. is opportunity. He's got to take it. No, no question about it. We wish the best of luck to Eli and everybody who is a Cajun in the NFL, gentlemen. Before we wrap it up, thoughts and predictions for Thursday night. Go ahead, Jerry. I think the team gets back on track. I think offensively, like I said about the offensive line, a great opportunity on national TV to to get their run game going. Um, you know, Duquesne, you know, we joke about it, about Duquesne not having, you know, we didn't know they had a football team or whatnot. But like Russ said, they controlled the game. You, you, you look at what they were able to do against Ohio the other day and a team like Duquesne with 40 scholarships to be able to do what they did up and down the field gives us no reason why we can't do the same. Now, granted, that also puts Ohio's backs against the wall. That means that they're in a must win, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures and they're going to play with a chip on their shoulder because this, this type of game can make it or break it for Ohio. And we know the potential they have. Um, but also the Cajuns are hungry too. Um, if you guys saw that video, of course, Doug Domingue, fantastic job once again. Uh, the video highlights of the Nichols game, you know, Billy Napier said in the locker room, he goes, you know, I can tell 
you guys aren't happy right now, even with a win. It just goes to show you the, the standard we have here for this program. So because of that, I think the Cajuns are going to come out with a vengeance. I think the home field advantage uh, will help us out a little bit. Um, I, I expect improvement this week. Uh, I know this coaching staff and this team was not happy with the performance against Nichols, regardless of whether or not it was a win. So I do think the Cajuns get back on track. I just don't think Ohio has enough in the, in the tool shed to get it done against the talent that we have. Um, I think the Cajuns, I don't think the Cajuns cover the spread, but I do think they win by enough that will be convincing. And I think it'll satisfy the fans. Uh, I'm going to say 28, 13 Cajuns, uh, two and one record. I think attendance, you know, the worst thing that could have happened was this tropical storm. Uh, and of course, we, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with everybody affected by it, but Thursday, we, you know, well, let's hope that it's enough rain that could go away that could basically um, not affect attendance too much because last week there's a lot of momentum coming off that 25,000 that showed up to Cajun field. It's a Thursday night game. It's on national TV. Student body has to show up. Cajun nation has to show up. Um, and look, this is a good, like I said, this is a dress rehearsal for conference realignment. we got to show the country what we're, what we're capable of, but I do think it will be under 20,000. I'm going to say around 17, 18,000, uh, announced crowd. And, uh, but hopefully that, that crowd can watch a nice Cajuns win. Yeah. I think on paper, the Cajuns are a much better football team, but this is another one of those games that question marks just kind of overshadow everything. What is the weather going to look like? Yet, what is this off this offensive line going to look like when it's put back together the way that it was intended? Uh, is the defense going to step up and play the way we know that they can play? Is the offense going to find some sort of a rhythm? Are we going to be able to run the football the way we want to in the way that Billy will force? I mean, they'll force feed those backs and, and they'll will they will force the issue with the running game. Um, is Ohio State or I keep saying Ohio State is Ohio hungry? Are they upset about the Duquesne loss? Are they looking at Northwestern saying if not the Cajuns, who are we going to beat? until we get to conference. I mean, there's, there's a lot of unknowns, you know, and it, it could go the other way. Maybe Ohio's worn down from hurricane travel or being, you know, kind of put out of their typical routine. Maybe that, you know, throws them off. Maybe the Cajuns are, are, you know, maybe they really are upset about that FCS, you know, Nichols almost loss. Um, you, you never know. There's, there's so many unknowns. Um, I don't think, Right now, on his face, like I said, I think 20 points is a lot. I don't see his covering that. Just historically speaking for this season, I mean, the two games that we've played have been baffling. I'll say baffling. That's the word I'll use. You know, Texas, you think maybe you could explain some things, but then you go to Texas, to Arkansas, and you get totally dominated at the point of attack. I mean, for 48 minutes, just totally dominated. It was hard to watch. Um I don't know on a score attendance wise. I think obviously, like Jerry said, fair weather fans in Lafayette. Maybe we've turned the corner now that we're targeting younger fans. Maybe those guys want to show up and have a beer shower and get on national television. You know, maybe the students and the Greeks hold their weight and take care of business. Um, if we get 17 or 18,000, I think that's kind of an acceptable number. I hate to say that, but all things considered, I don't think that would be such a bad thing. One good thing about tailgating, you know, we haven't really talked about tailgating for Thursday. Maggard let everybody keep their tents out there from Saturday. So hopefully, you know, people will say, well, our sit's already set up. Might as well go try to tailgate, you know, even if it is kind of rainy. Uh, so maybe that'll help. But um, I'm hoping to get 17, 18,000. Anything above that is, is Lanyap and it's great. Uh, I think we win the game. I think it's 
you know, again, barring weather and a totally, uh, a totally sloppy environment, I think it's probably a little bit closer than, than Vegas thinks and probably closer than we'd like it to be. I'm not confident that we win this game. Hot tape? I'm, I, I hate to say that, but I just – from – if you look at the Texas game and then you look at the Nichols game, I mean, I don't really have a reason to be confident. Matt, to your point, Texas obviously was above your pay grade, and, S, and, and Nichols was maybe a letdown game. With a, with a very capable quarterback and a very capable head coach. It was a, you know, people don't want to admit this, but that's a trap situation. Oh, it's, it's it, it totally is. It totally perfect is. trap situation. So I think playing Ohio for the first time this season is a measuring stick type of game. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not confident in the fact that I downright think we're going to lose. I mean, I think we very well can and very well should win this football game. We're the better team. But again, and, and and I agree with your point, Josh, Texas was above our pay grade. Nichols is not your typical FCS program. However, looking at our performances in that game, in those games, we did not live up to what we're capable of in either game. Um, so on that point, I, I just I'm not confident Thursday night. I mean, I, I think I hope we go out and play well. I mean, I want that every week. I want that. I want us to go out and absolutely dominate every team we play. Um, talking about attendance, you know, I'm I'm kind of a I'm kind of with you guys, obviously with with the storm, and just it being a weeknight, everything else. I think if you see anywhere between seventeen to twenty two, is is a win uh, from from the attendance standpoint. Um, you know, you brought up fan weather fans, and I agree with that. There's going to be some of those. But I think I think your revamped student section, uh, targeting that younger demographic, I, th- I think again seventeen to twenty two, I think is a is a respectable attendance number, and uh, again, like I said, I hope I hope to God we beat Ohio. I really do. I can tell you this: if twenty two thousand people show up on Thursday, our administration is going to shit themselves. They're going <laughs> to they're going to be happy. I'm telling you, yeah. twenty two thousand on a Thursday night in a storm. Yeah, they should be. I mean, that, that would be an unbelievable number. They should be. Before we before we end this episode of Region Review, let's go around the Sun Belt uh, from week two, Friday night, last Friday, September the tenth. Coastal hosted Kansas and put on a clinic. They suck. Forty nine. To 22, Grayson McCall, 17 of 21, 245 yards, two touchdowns. Reese White, 14 carries, 102 yards, three touchdowns. And then the Saturday slate from the Sun Belt, obviously Louisiana defeating Nichols, 27 to 24. Georgia Southern getting pummeled by Florida Atlantic, 38 to 6. South Al winning a close one over Bowling Green, 22 to 19. That looked like two bad teams at on that field. Well, Texas State beating FIU in overtime, twenty three to seventeen. Liberty. This was actually a pretty good game. Yeah, very interesting outcome right there. Liberty twenty one, Troy thirteen. Arkansas State dropping a close one to Memphis, fifty five to fifty. And then Georgia State, you know, I'll, I'll give them their due. They they hung tough with North Carolina for a little while. 
But uh, it was just one of those games where Big Dog had to run away in the end, 59-17. to 17. Uh, One game I want to spend just a few minutes on, App State and Miami. Shout out to the Apps, man. I mean, that was a war. What a game. 25 to 23 in favor of the Hurricanes. But man, for for the longest time, App State had their grips on that game and it just slipped away from them. They had it won. They had it won to the last drive. And and but but we knew, I mean, I knew going into that game it was going to come down to, to one score. Uh App is known for that and they just that system that Sean Clark has been able to continue um, with previous head coaches. I mean, they 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 run that system to perfection, and it shows. Um, they should have, to me, they should have won that game. Well, yeah, they should have I mean, won that game. Chase Bryce outplayed the, uh, I mean, the media darling Derek King. I mean, these people love this guy. They act like he's the second coming of uh, of Warren Moon over there. But Chase Bryce outplayed him on the road. Yeah. No question. Yeah. No question about it. Uh, some highlights for week three in the Sun Belt. Coastal will play Buffalo. Um, let's see. Georgia Southern will play Arkansas. Yikes. Uh, Troy plays Southern Miss. Charlotte plays Georgia State. Arkansas State will go to Washington. App State has Elon. Um, South Alabama has Alcorn State. UL Monroe gets Dion. I mean, give me Coach I'm interested in that one. I'm interested in that one because you know a SWAC school has never defeated a Sun Belt school hey, in how its about, history. How, how about we make the road trip to to Monroe and and try to inter- get an interview <laughs> with Dion Sanders? Prime time. No, call Coach, me, Coach call Sanders. me, call me Coach Sanders Coach from now on. Coach, Coach Sanders. Coach Sanders can't even call me sir. Oh, man, absolutely ridiculous. Anyways, that's going to do it for a two-hour edition of Rage and Review. Thursday night, 7 o'clock, Cajuns, Bobcats, ESPN from Cajun Field. Be there or be square. Boys, it was fun. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk tomorrow. We'll see each other Thursday night of the game, and then – Conference starts next week. Late night, yes, week, sir. Late night, weeknight reaction pod coming. Possibly, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Hey, I mean, the next day's Friday. Why the hell not? There you go. I like it. Cajun Nation, thank you as, as always for the support. And we will talk to you guys on the other side. As always, go Cajuns. Tell them, Owie.